0: To the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the Sex PharmD Podcast with your host, Dr. Nadia Archambault, licensed clinical pharmacist and certified sex therapist. With a focus on women's sexual health and wellness, Dr. A is here to cover important health topics and answer all of your questions about subjects that can be applied to pharmacy practice. And now, here's Dr. A.
1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Sex PharmD. I have a fantastic pharmacist on for today, uh, Dr. Jenna Quinn, welcome to the show. I'm very, very happy to have you on and can't wait to hear what you have to say today.
0: Thank you. I'm very excited to be on. Um, thank you everybody, uh, to be on a show called sex farm. D makes me blush a little bit. So I'm excited (laughs) to, uh, really open up and, uh, talk about all the, all the uncomfortable things.
1: That's right. That's right. (laughs) I try to take everyone out of their comfort zone. So (laughs) love it. Love it. I can't wait. So, um, I'd love for you to just tell uh, everyone, our listeners, a little bit about your your background and uh, what you're doing now, which is really unique and cool. I love it. (laughs) Thank
0: you. Um, So I am a a pediatric pharmacist by trade, pediatric uh, pharmacist in the hospital setting, (laughs) for, um, 11 years now. So I am from New Jersey and I've been practicing, uh, locally in PA in New Jersey, in various hospitals, um, and Cooper for over 11 years, uh, through that journey. Um, I've also, I first should say I'm foremost, I'm a, a mom of three. Yes. Um,
1: that's the most important. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Three, uh, beautiful, crazy little girls, um, mm-hmm. Peyton Hadley and Avery. Um, wow. and so they, d- kids definitely push you into, into, um, getting, you know, creative with your job, um, to have that flexibility. So I was in the hospital for, for 11 years and I honestly loved it. I always rotated between the PICU, the NICU, the ER, um, gen peds. And so I liked that I had like a little, little bit of everything, um, Over those past eleven years, I we would get in um, these really complex pediatric patients. uh, Whether that was from you know various facilities in the area, we have like long term care facilities. A lot of people aren't familiar with like them. When you think long term care, you think geriatrics, Uh, but there's actually Mm. uh, pediatric patients that stay in long term care facilities, um, and then like rehabs, we would have kids come from home care. Um, and so over the course, the United States doesn't have a good definition of what medically complex is so I kind of adapted it from Europe, um, uh, which is wow. The most, yeah, they don't. <laughs> so if you look at the literature, like we don't have in the adults, we have like a better definition, but in kids, um, they we don't have any wonderful literature to say, okay, what's medically complex? And so that is um in uh, in other places, not the US, it's greater mm-hmm. than two chronic disease states and greater than five or more medications. Um, and this is kind of the the tipping point. And we do see this in geriatrics once they're at that five or more. Um, and the one study that was um, in, in Europe that usually there's a, a very high rate of uh, medication errors. And if not medication, like In medication errors that there's a large chance for med optimization. I call it to stay PC. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And so I, we would get these, these complex kiddos and I would always notice that there was, like a little bit of tweaking I would like to do, whether that was, you know, it could be something blatant, like a drug drug interaction, or it could be a missed dose. Um, These kids, the unique thing about kids is that they grow so fast. They are constantly needing to weight adjust their medications. Um, and sometimes they don't won't see the primary for like six months and they've gained a lot of weight. And at that point now, the medication is therapeutic um, And then, or it would be like, you know, just working with the families, I would go in and they'd be like, his behaviors are still bad. Um, So it it was just, there was always ways to make the medication regimen better. Um, And a lot of times I feel like in the outpatient world, a lot falls through the cracks as far as adverse drug reaction monitoring is one of the big ones I'm finding Um, for like, you know, it's common sense things for a pharmacist. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. If they're on an antipsychotic, they need, you know, a cholesterol paddle and a one C. Um, and you know, if they're having, they have a med that has a level, you know, how mm-hmm. often is that level being taken? So, so I would, this one patient in particular, two years ago, really stuck with me. His medication regimen was it's horrifying to be, uh, uh, to say it nicely. And so I worked with his mom after he was only in our PICU for, for a night. And, um, I gave the mom my number and I worked with her for over four months. Um, obviously like at no charge just cause I was so uh, bent out of shape about like what, how much how, how many things were incorrect in his regimen, ineffective. Um, so through a combination of PGX, um, and some collaboration with three of his subspecialists and his primary care, again, it took four months, but I was able to have him, um, obviously like get rid of all the drug sugar interactions. So like the one big thing was he was on his antipsychotic and his um his pulmonary meds interacted which was causing him to need to be straight cast and causing urinary incontinence So, so the first thing i did was take away one of his pulmonary meds with his pulmonary um pulmonologist blessing and he didn't need to be straight cast anymore um so and then um he was on uh duplicate antipsychotics we rotated them and then he was um based on one that actually worked. And so his behavior changes and he wasn't, you know, um, hitting the, the nurse, the home care nurse that was coming. Mm. So again, it took a long time and he was kind of, he was my first, he was what we call my passion project. Oh, I love that though. (laughs) um, so after, after him, I was like, is this, you know, this has to be happening to a lot of parents and, you know, who's, who's out there in this outpatient world. That's a clinical pharmacist and pediatric trained that's watching these kids. And, and the answer was nobody. Um, so, you know, they have that contact with the retail pharmacists and we all know, um, I'm assuming a lot of you guys listening are retail pharmacists. You are amazing. Um, you are completely overworked and you don't like no, no one uh, could have the bandwidth in the retail setting to do an hour medication management. Um, mm. It's just not realistic. So uh, those were the the pharmacists that had, you know, all their medications and then They just had their primary who was too scared to touch their subspecialist medications. And so it just seemed like the perfect recipe for a clinical pharmacist to embed themselves. Um, So I've been doing so in the community with uh, medical daycares, long-term care, acute care. And my real my dream would be to honestly have the insurance company match me up with these medically complex pediatric patients. And I should add, um, through my journey in the NICU, as well as my own personal journey with maternal mm-hmm. health that I do do a lot of maternal health, um, it's not like something I was specially trained in. It just organically happened over the years where I, um, from being in the NICU for 11 years, they'd be like, is this med safe? Can this mom still breastfeed mm-hmm. Can this mom? Take this med. And so maternal health is another near and dear, um, thing to my heart. So between the two of them, um, I've really made it my mission to, um, have, the fetal maternal patients who are complex as well as the pediatric patients to really have an advocate, um, in a, in a clinical pharmacist, um, on board. And so I've also taken a lot of private pay patients and it's crazy, um, to see because a lot of those two, those two specialties, a lot of people are uncomfortable. And so, Like Mm -hmm. I said, the pediatrician will have a subspecialist and they won't even touch their meds, even if they see a med error. And then the primary care sees that one of their patients is pregnant and, um, or trying to conceive. And instead of saying, why don't you talk to a fetal maternal medicine doc? Um, I've had now like three or four women text me or call me hysterically crying, like my doc's not going to give me my meds anymore. The PCP said, if I continue my antipsychotic, antidepressant, whatever, they're going to, um, that I have to change, change doctors, They're not comfortable prescribing it to me. Um, And so even if it's safe, so there's just that, that lack of knowledge and comfort with those patient populations, which I think like makes me love it even more because there's so much room for advocacy.
1: So that's my long winded. Yeah. No, I love it. It's so important to know how people, I, I love hearing the stories of how people found what they're passionate about, like their why story. And I know as a pharmacist myself, I never wanted to touch the PD pedi- the you know heavy duty pediatric meds aside from like amoxicillin in the retail setting, you know. Um, and yeah. I know a lot of us don't. So what you're doing is really amazing and very brave because I know a lot of us just don't even want to go there and it really is a specialty that requires, you know, more training for sure because you yeah. can't just go in and, you know, and and I think it's so. So important as, you know, as far as the, the new moms with the breastfeeding and there's so many questions that come up and I know even like for pharmacists that I know, like in the retail setting, you know, we'd have to look it up and then we don't, you know, it's always just refer to your OBGYN, refer to your OBGYN, you know, and, and we just don't, you know, we didn't have a lot of time necessarily to really dig deep. So I think that's great too, you know, that you're having those conversations because they are so important.
0: And I did, um, cause I, I'm infamous for doing things that I'm like, I don't even know if this is, you know, this person is going to reach back, but I did reach out to Karen Lynch. She's the CEO of CVS because wow, I would love having her back yet, but I'm determined to talk to this person. <laughs> um, for that reason, because I think you guys, it would improve, um, the, the quality of care and your, um, your satisfaction as, as a pharmacist in the retail setting to say, Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm really uncomfortable with this pediatric patient or really uncomfortable with this pregnant woman. Let me call perfecting peds and we can get you an answer. And I think so. I, uh, my dream is really to have everyone have access to this as like a drug information source as a pharmacist who's in, like you're saying in the retail setting, you also mm-hmm. see it in the hospital too. And those rural hospitals never see a pediatric patient or a complex maternal health. And they're like, Oh, what, what? So I'll let you know if Karen ever gets back. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> I really Karen, I was, if you're listening. <laughs> yes. Come on. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I was like, Oh, a, a woman CEO. First of all, I love it. But right? I think, um, you know, I I think that would be huge for to have the CVS pharmacist have a clinical pharmacist to refer to and and work with as a liaison. And I think it would Mm -hmm. close a lot of the gaps because like I said, it's not that they're quote unquote, a bad pharmacist, like we're all, right educated with our doctorate and um we're all we all have a, we're all amazingly smart and uh anal just goes with our yeah that's <laughs> it yeah <laughs> <laughs> with the territory but i think it like if you told me i had to give like my family there was two pharmacists like give a whole family of vac of vaccines um and me and my husband got two each and then on top of it you know, make, get the phone calls, do the drive-through, like all that alone, it's just not feasible for them to be doing this work. But I think if the retail pharmacists and clinical pharmacists work together, um, it'd be huge. And another big thing, this is, um, again, something I'm super passionate about Mm -hmm. and I'm sure it happens in the adult population. Um, another big thing I do is, um, which is, Probably not nice to the parents who aren't compliant, but I do a lot of compliance checks. Um, Good. so I'll, so I'll call like this retail pharmacy, whether that's right, you know, whoever that mm-hmm. retail ph- and I said, can you send me the um fill list from January, for example? Through mm-hmm. this, I found out one mom who has um diagnosed Muhausm's because of oh hungry. yeah medications mm-hmm. that were on it. And then an, another, uh, was a possible, uh, diversion and wasn't ge- so you can find out a lot from like how frequently they refill their meds. And, and I think too, a lot of times we have these non-compliant patients and what happens is we just add another med, and we add another man yeah, right, and add another med, And so like in this one case in particular, like the parent wasn't giving their H2, wasn't giving their PPI. And the GI specialist was like, I don't know what to do. So add it bethanacol, add it, mm-hmm. um, Reglin, and add it eventually needed to add erythro. And so, but they, they weren't compliant with just the H2 and the PPI. So again, I think there's a lot of ways that we could all service the population better if we had clinical pharmacists, not necessarily in peds and maternal health, but everywhere, right? For us to Mm -hmm. collaborate and really bridge those gaps of care.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that would be great. That's
0: my long winded what I do.
1: (laughs) I love it though. No, it's (laughs) great. Um, So as far as when you're talking with these, you know, these new moms and, you know, they're breastfeeding, um, you know, part of what I've seen for women who are going through postpartum, they're experiencing low libido, just, they don't, I mean, how would they even want to be getting yeah. intimate with their partner when they're just, when they're just, you know, completely exhausted. And then yeah. some of them have gone off of their antidepressants or other medications that they may need because they're breastfeeding. Um, what are some common ones that you've seen as far as questions you've gotten from, from new moms who are breastfeeding and postpartum?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, so with my own personal journey, I, um, I always had panic attacks and anxiety since I've been 15, mm. So can't, can't quote if it was 16 or 17. And I don't know why my looking back as a Peds pharmacist, I'm not sure why they started me on this, but they started me on effects. was my mm. first one that they started me on and that worked. And so I've been on effects am 33 now since 17. And there has been points in my life where I've like tried to come off it. And it's like the worst idea possible. Um, mm-hmm. cause I start my panic attacks come back and then I get agoraphobic and it's very difficult.
1: Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Um,
0: so I just know that that's like part of and I'm very much into like not just throwing meds at people. So, mm-hmm. you know, part of it's not that I just take effects or I have to work out at least four times um a week. I do meditation. I, you know, took my whole my whole panel and especially through my pregnancies, I needed B12 shots because I have celiac. So I try to do I think when people like see somebody on a med, they're like, oh, they must not
1: be taking care of themselves or like. Right, but you're doing all the other self-care things that you could possibly do. So, th- you know, that's not an issue. <laughs>
0: right, and I do like counsel, you know, women, especially like mm-hmm. first part, like, you have to give the baby to your husband to sleep. You have to, you know, if, once you get cleared, you, you even if you're not, you just have to take long walks. So like when I take these private pay patients, I think, when people hear me talk about medications, they're like, oh, she just wants to throw meds at kids and, mm. and, and, and um, maternal health patients. And that's not the case. But if you're there's a lot of things that go missing when postpartum. Right. So you you don't sleep. Right. So sleep's like a huge way to take care of yourself. And if you're breastfeeding, you're waking up every two to three hours. And that's it's just that's that's what you're doing. And then. Yeah on top of it, you don't have that coping mechanism of like doing intense, um, physical exercise. Right. So you, you literally can't for six to eight weeks, depending on if you had a vaginal or cesarean. Yeah, absolutely. And so a lot of your coping mechanisms are taken away. And then it's like, you have this alien of a baby, just like, giving you, and they're like, they're yours. You're like, what? yeah. There you um, go. <laughs> and not a lot of, I told my sister-in-law this cause she's right now in the in the thick of it. But like, you don't, a lot of women will tell you, like, you don't instantly bond with this baby. You're like, it's like a very weird experience. Like you've just given to them and and be like, okay, now feed them and don't Mm -hmm. sleep and don't work out. And just like, be really happy for, you know, the next (laughs) two, however they say close terms the first year. So a lot of women really struggle with the adjustment and that's normal. We know it's one in four or have postpartum. And then I was so excited to hear that depression. And then they're now, they're going to start screening automatically for postpartum anxiety, which is, good. What, which is what I had. And I think, you know, you get that, you get it screened maybe once at the pediatrician, once at the OB, but it's like, they, they do it at like six weeks, which if you really look and, and think about the whole postpartum journey, like they don't screen us enough because a lot of women get it farther out, like two mm. months or three months, and it can be all the way up to a year. Um, so I think we kind of that in combination of that, we also put unrealistic work demands on women, mm-hmm. um, both in my second and my third child, I had to go back at six weeks postpartum. Um
1: that's too early. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know <laughs>
0: it's insane, right? So you yeah. and then you accept a breastfeed and then mm-hmm. that's a whole nother thing. But through my journey of um you know, my my first with my daughter, I had my effects was really low, like really, really low. I was able to like basically the starting dose. And so postpartum, like nobody gave me the heads up that like if you're prone to anxiety, depression, um, OCD, mm-hmm. that you have a high chance of of relapse. Have yeah, postpartum. That's just the stats. It's like you're two or three times more likely to have postpartum, like a postpartum mental illness, if you've had it before. And so, oh, okay, nobody tells you that. So no. I, I remember at like my six week, um, It's, it's been what almost six years now, so I can talk about it, but I called my dad who's uh, a counselor his whole life and I was just hysterically crying because I had postpartum OCD, which is like where you have like intrusive thoughts, which is really scary to verbalize Mm -hmm. and to talk about and so he actually took me to the ER. And, um, they did like a workup and just like everything. Cause a lot of times women postpartum have thyroid issues, which you're talking about libido. That could be a huge, Yep,
1: another one. Uh-huh.
0: Um, and so there were like, they did all the workup and then they like actually got me in with the psychiatrist, um, a couple of days later, which was huge. But, um, then nobody said like, I would have loved to say like, and I tell women who already have mental illness before, like you there's a high likelihood it's going to happen. I think if you know that and you can make sure you have all your resources, then it's huge. So, um, and a lot of women don't know that your OB is actually the best person to start with. If you have a crisis postpartum because they are trained the most. Um, Mm -hmm. so that brings in the question, you know, if, if you are in some sort of crisis or struggling with postpartum health, what's, what's safe, um, pregnancy wise. And and so actually a lot of the SSRIs and SNRIs are safe. Um, and it's weird because I always get the question. Um, some are now there's a caveat, like some of the, the, I should say the most published and well-studied ones are Lexapro and Zoloft. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to new start on anything, um, whether that's during your pregnancy, um, or after your pregnancy, those are the two go-to if you haven't, if you haven't tried them before and, and you're, um, you know, like, you know, cause a lot of times you, you fail those meds, right. So, um, but effectsor was for me personally a men that I knew worked. So I did my research, and it's similar. It's an effectsor is not as well studied, but um across the board, it can have, like they say, uh, potential a small gestational age, which is like a very low percentage, like a low chance. But in Mm -hmm. my mind, if you have anxiety or depression during pregnancy, you're at risk of having a small, small gestational baby or even worse, you're really at risk for having a preemie. Um, And so when women ask like, should I treat my anxiety and depression or just kind of stick it out whether that's during the pregnancy, you're at risk of having a small gestational age or preemie. And then after, you know, the the bonding with your baby, you can't even do if you're anxious or depressed. So um, if you've tried... you know, other things to cope with it. Like I said, meditation's huge. You know, that Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing is after postpartum, you've gotten labs, you know, it's not something like your thyroid or something else. Um, And you want to start these meds um, that can be started safely. Um, And so, like I said, Lexapro and Zoloft are easy ones, because if uh, there are other options, a hundred percent, but even with Lexapro and Zoloft, it's monitoring the baby uh, for, lack of waking and any sort of, um, like, which it's hard to say colicky, but, um, mm-hmm. like pattern, uh, sleeping pattern changes and stuff. Okay. Um, anecdotally, and just my personal experience, I haven't seen, um, any woman have those issues, but it is documented in the literature. So I do always say, you know, risk benefit. Mm-hmm. If you're at a point where you're in a crisis, you get, you get started and God forbid you start breastfeeding and the baby's having, um, you know, it's hard to obviously weed out other root cause that could be causing this, but if they have, they're not getting weight appropriately, or you notice like massive mood changes, then you would either do donor milk, which is uh, quite popular now and a little bit easier to get. And then, um, or a formula. So mm-hmm. I always yeah. tell moms that like, by all means, you can do this safely. Um, So I do advocate and I, like I said, I haven't had any mom that's had to have come stop breastfeeding because of being on these medications. If anything, if you can lower the anxiety, the depression, the OCD, and really just enjoy bonding and breastfeeding with the baby, it's best for both of you. Um, that being said, if you're a woman that's like, I absolutely hate this <laughs> and it's awful yeah. for for your mental health, then I don't want to
1: push that any further, you know? Right. Um, no, that's, that's really good to know, especially for our listeners, because I know, again, it's something that we don't really, we just say refer to your OB. Um, and it, there are, there are women that I've, I've had, you know, that I've spoken to where they're having their baby go for checkups and they go to the OB you know, but they're not talking to their OB about how they're like mentally feeling. And I really believe that every and then they just stop going like there are some women. I'm like, OK, when's the last time you've been to the to get yourself checked? They're going for the baby all the time. You know, they're not they're depressed. They're anxious. And I think, you know, too,
0: we really have to with my OB. I even asked for my last one like, can I do a telemedicine with you? Like, it's yeah. not, like a mom of now, this is my third, but a mom of three, that's still, you know, maybe I mean, the podcast is called sex MD. So you could talk about anything, but my <laughs> vagina is still healing. So how am I supposed, exactly like, I'm wearing diapers. How am I supposed to load myself, my, th- my three kids to go to the OB. But, you know, I think if we maximize telemedicine too, mm-hmm. and I think there is even like with my own psychiatrist, when I meet with her, when I'm in my environment, I can kind of be more myself or, and she probably really sees everything, you know? Um, so, but I think too, if we maybe did like a couple more checkups via telemedicine with OVs or like, like us, like, or, you know, Mm -hmm. a clinical pharmacist or, or even lactation consultants now they have like all this, um, Remote. obviously I think it's nice if they can go, but there's all these services that are available um, and if we made more services available via like telemedicine, I think women would be more likely to do it because of how stressful it is in the beginning weeks just to get out of the house. And then yeah. I think they, they fall by the wayside. So if we had like a three month and a six month checkup, I think we'd be able to capture so many women that aren't okay that we just don't know, right? So we know one in four women suffer from postpartum depression. We don't screen for anxiety. We don't screen for OCD. And so I think, and we only screen them maybe once or twice. And I know personally, my PCP has forgotten to screen me almost every single time. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> and Just, so you know. so yeah. there's so many women and then it's like a shameful thing too. Mm-hmm. um And then you're also talking about like libido too. There's so many other things like your partnership too can suffer because they don't clear you for six to eight weeks to even have sex. And then on mm-hmm. top of it, you're so tired and you don't have any of your coping mechanisms and and then add on that you might need an antidepressant or anti-anxiety med. And so, and that can, uh, I personally
1: think that's killed my libido. Um, so yeah. And yeah, for some, for some people, the antidepressants can decrease libido, but then for others, they actually add it. They women are on an antidepressant to increase libido. So it's just, it just depends on the person, you know, Yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think too, like talking to you, I was interested to hear what your thoughts or your tricks are because like, yeah, like I said, I know you can add Welbutrin potentially as like a synergistic to try to get their libido up, but I, I don't want to treat and like, you know, decrease libido with another
1: potential right.
0: serotonergic. Well, definitely it's a serotonin, like another drug that's going to, um, add to, you know, your serotonin. And if I'm already have serotonin or epi and me, I don't mm-hmm. want to add more. Um, But it is interesting, like you're saying, especially because I'm six months out now. So I kind of start to feel more like myself about six mm-hmm. months out. And then at the year mark, I remember with both of my girls, this being my third, that I'm like, okay, I'm finally Jenna again. It
1: does take a Why? while. See? Yeah. Yeah. And,
0: and so it is, and it's like uncomfortable to tell. You know your provider. Like I have no sex drive. Like I really and so that when you're and then like you're saying, depending on the person, if you start an antidepressant, that's gonna suppress it even more. And then I always wonder if breastfeeding makes that worse or better. So um, I think yeah, I always play and then when you wean breastfeeding,
1: your hormones are changing again. Um, And I think yes, too, th- that's the thing. Your your hormones are like a roller coaster during that entire time.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. And, I think, yeah, it is like an uncomfortable thing to be like, you're just trying to survive. And then if your libido is down, then that, then you're definitely your partner takes a hit too. Um, and I think it's something, another thing that we don't talk about much. And like, as a woman I and a pharmacist and maternal health, I wouldn't even be able to tell you. What you can do to increase your libido. So I would love to hear
1: hear yeah the, the tricks of your trade. Yeah, I mean for women that I've spoken with, the first thing is okay, like you know, have you been checked out by your doctor? All all of that. Okay, so if we right. take out okay, they're they're on a med or not on a med or whatever it is. Um, I think that you kind of almost forget how to be intimate. So the first thing that's important is, and I know it's tough if you have like a newborn, is <laughs> to make sure that you your partner's also on track with this, that you at least have some type of date night, just something, even if the baby's sleeping and you, you you know, watch your favorite show on Netflix or I like to have no um, screen time for a date night, you know, where it's like dinner or you play a game or some people like make a puzzle. It's just, everybody's different. But I, I think, think that, yeah. Hey, not to cut you off, I think. No, it's, it's fine, yeah. True too, like in the beginning, especially when you're breastfeeding, like,
0: that first like three weeks, it's so impossible impo- to physically leave the baby because they tell you breastfeeding not to introduce a bottle for three or four weeks. Right. Like, well, shit, what am I going to do? Am I going to like, how am I supposed to spend time with my significant other without the baby? If I literally end their life source. So that obviously can be a deal breaker for, for some women to, breastfeed, um, because they can't pump until like three or four weeks. Um, and I'm somebody, the lactation consultants would kill me, but like you're saying, if it's for a mental health reason, Pump a bottle. Just exactly. In one bottle. I know. I did it with all mine before that that four week mark, because I just needed like whether it was sleep or or working out. But I think, you know, lactation consultants and a lot of people are have your best interests in mind. But like you're saying, if you can't physically for for your mental well-being, I'm like, they're fine. You can introduce it a little bit earlier. Yeah. But exactly. But all yeah. these things come into play.
1: Yeah. And during COVID when people didn't want to go out, I've gotten creative with couples and what they're going to do for like a a, a date night in kind of thing. So, but,
0: oh, I love yeah. that.
1: Yeah. So like date night in or like dinner and there's all different types of things you can do. Um Yeah. And so there's that. And then there's also just the power of touch. And, you know, you don't as women, like we don't, after having a baby, you know, a lot of women don't feel like them like you were just saying, I feel like Jenna again. I think it's important for their partner to I think like massage is huge. You know, it doesn't have to be like you're going for a professional massage, but I think the power of touch and, and massage can be huge for See? the other person to do. Um and and then I asked the question, well, because some women just don't even want to have sex, you know, they just don't even yeah, want to have sex also- at all.
0: Also your body image.
1: That's the thing too. Yeah. So that's why I like that whole power of touch and just kind of feeling good again. And that's why exercise is important too, if you can, because then it you start to feel, it's more of a mental thing too, where you start to feel like, okay, I'm back, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I actually, yeah. this time around, cause um, she's my third and she just slid out. I had no tears. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So okay. I didn't need, so, and I was breastfeeding and I texted my OB. It's nice to be in the men, much, uh, healthcare field. Cause you can, you like, I, I obviously knew my OB. Yeah, exactly. I worked with her. So I texted her. I'm like, would you hate if I started like slowly going into exercise? This is three weeks postpartum. Part, part. She's like, no, you breastfed. You didn't have any tears. Yeah. You're, you're, you're probably, you know, you're probably close to healed. She's like, you can go back. But that was huge for me because that's one of my huge coping mechanisms just in general,
1: so. Absolutely. Um, And then I've asked the question to women, you know, as far as, you know, obviously they need to do, like, I think it's important, Kegel exercises, the Kegel balls they have even. Yes, yes. But I say, you know, have you used your vibe? Like a lot of women will have a vibrator, you know, but some don't, but I've asked them like, have you used your vibrator? You know, use that before you even think about, okay, well, I can't even, I don't want to be bothered with sex, whatever go and use your, have your time to yourself, go and use your vibrator. And then it will make you feel. That was life changing in college. My two girlfriends yeah. took me shopping for a vibrator.
0: I was like, they were like, you don't have one. I'm like, no. <laughs> and it was like, I was committing a mortal sin.
1: Yeah. But I think it's like, so, you know, and and there was one mom that I talked to. She's like, I didn't even think of that. I said, yeah, that will help you feel like yourself, like yourself again on a, on a sexual level. Right. And then that will possibly hopefully start to put you in the mood to wanting to, to wanting to have that intimacy again with your partner and a lot. And of course you have to wait, you know, before you can do anything after having a baby physically, right. But start doing that, you know, um, and a lot of women don't even think to do, but it's something that, that has worked, you know, so. That's another thing. Yeah, I think, I think that's,
0: cute. yeah, I think that's, I didn't realize that how um, amazing a, a vibrator could be until like late <laughs> exactly. in college. And it was like so uncomfortable. My, my, me and my girlfriends were having a drink. They're like, you never have one? You didn't know. And I'm like, then once I found mine, I was like, oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, now, exactly. Yeah. And now I'm like, yeah, share it. I'm like, oh no, you need to have one. Especially when it's hard to climax on antidepressants too so i'm like i always mm-hmm. i always need a little help from a friend exactly i love that
1: i love the way you said that yeah for sure so that's <laughs> another one and um and then you know i i always say you know some women you know they're like oh i haven't i haven't even showered in like 2 days i'm still in my pajamas you know what try to take the 5 10 minutes out and just take a shower dry your hair put some makeup on just something that makes you feel good about yourself. Like, so that way, like when your partner does, if your partner's there or comes home from work or, work or whatever, you don't feel gross. You don't feel like, Oh, like I'm still in my pajamas. Like, I don't want, you know, I know. try and to just is, do something that makes you feel fresh during the day, you know? <laughs> I know. And it's like a, a mom, you feel like guilty,
0: but you can put your baby down. If you can even like, you know, put the video camera on and, and even if they're in their crib for five minutes on their back, just laying there they're okay. Right. Um, I right. Think because how you feel reminder. affects how they
1: feel too. So it's important to put yourself first on a, on some level, you know, when they, when the oxygen mass drops down yeah. in the, in the uh, you know, on the airplane, the airplane. they say, yeah. put it on you first. Right. Cause yeah, you know.
0: <laughs> it is so, so true yeah. though, because now my girls know, like with my working at like my two older two, like you can come work out with me. It's fine because my five-year-old almost six likes to run like she's actually a really good girl. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so like, that's something we do together, but she knows like, it's non-negotiable for mom. So I either go like, or even if I'm doing like, you know, a video or something in, mm-hmm. in the house, my girls know, like I can, you can do it with me. Yeah. Like before I ask do you want anything to eat, do you want anything to drink? They'll play so if like they'll play, but they know like either do it with me or play or do something like, you know st- somehow entertain yourself because for the next 30 35 minutes mom's not gonna entertain me and so it was really hard for me to get there um and to set those boundaries and to be like this is like a non-negotiable time for me but now my girls know and so right it's nice even like if i have all three of them and i really feel anxious i'll like the the two will play and then i can put the my six month-old and the little like kids play gym that they have um the the little like you know entertainment salsa and I'm just like even and I've learned like even if one's crying or losing their shit about something like Mm -hmm. mom will be there in 20 minutes as long as everyone's healthy like okay and safe like um, it's just like my non-negotiable time and it took me a really long time to get there
1: yeah no and and that's so important you know and that's like conversations that I've had with with women after they've had a baby. And that all plays into, you know, your, your libido also, and your, your time with your partner and everything. And, and it's so, so important. It the, the, the female sex organ is the brain. Sure. <laughs> so it starts here, you know, so it's so, so important. Um, I wish we were as simple as men. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Oh man. Um, so as far as um, I know, I love, I know before we go, I want you to just, I love your website, perfectingpeeds.com. I'm going to have everything in the show notes also. Thank you so much. Th- it's, it's a beautiful website and I think what you're doing is awesome. And, and I love that you've incorporated this, the whole talking with, with these new moms also, and the breastfeeding questions and think, I think that's going to be a whole new a whole new area I think that you're gonna I can see you even expanding more on that too because there's not many people no. out there doing that
0: and not many so. yeah, and it's such a, a need like even talking to my sister-in-law like it you you just feel there's because she has six weeks so she's a little bit and it's her first and so you know I wish I had somebody in my journey to be like it's okay like you know it's common to feel mm-hmm. like crap absolute crap mm-hmm. the first eight mm-hmm. weeks and it's really not fun to not sleep and and no <laughs> to, like to acclimate to getting to take care of somebody else and so you know I wish I had somebody to say like it's okay you you're you're not like you don't have rainbows shooting out of your butt like it, you don't have to like Love, you have it's going to be a process, it's going to be a journey. And um if you had mental illness before, it could happen again. You need to have your resources available, like and so all those things. Like when I did it the second and now the third time, mm-hmm. um and my husband's dissect me, just got denied by insurance. So that's fun. So I don't want to do it. Oh, my you. goodness. <laughs>
1: I mean, <laughs> so, come on, that's so we mean. can do a whole nother show
0: on conscious stuff, does mean you um, Yeah. But yeah, I um like I it, I just knew like I had all my resources and ducks in a row and, and um I'm way more apt to to ask people to help me because the first time around I didn't like it, I will ask somebody, I don't care, I'll pay a pay, you know, this I have a wonderful babysitter or nanny, I'll pay her sometimes to sleep to work out to sometimes I'll leave and I'll just go get like a massage or a facial. I'm like, so making right. what I'm doing, but, um, I'll, if you know, my husband works long hours. So where I used to be like, I can't pay someone to go do that. Yes, you can. And so yes, you can. <laughs> if I talk to somebody like a first-time mom, or if I was talking to myself after my first, I would—that's what I would want them to know. And that if you do have a crisis, your OB is the best place to start, and there are tons of safe options for you and your baby if you want to continue to breastfeed.
1: Yeah, that's That's.
0: I breastfed that's all my advice. girls for two years, and I was on yeah. a there. And they're the chubbiest. I w- And I do. <laughs> this is not a funny <laughs> joke, but it is a little Aww. bit. I would always say I have the happiest babies because they have a little bit of extra serotonin.
1: <laughs> they,
0: oh, God. people would always be like, your kids are so happy. I'm like, uh-huh. yeah, they have a lot of serotonin. <laughs> <laughs> And I oh, uh, have the happiest, happiest kids. So, um, but yeah, so that was always my funny, not funny joke, but just to like make, yep. just hungry, to make light like, of it. Yeah. 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 So yeah. there's tons of safe options and just for women to know that. Yeah. Doesn't make you a crappy mom. If, if, nope. you, if you need one of those.
1: Well, you kind of just answered my, I usually ask at the end, you know, your top three. So top three pieces of advice for expecting a new mom. So definitely take time for yourself. Yes, you if, know,
0: if you have a crisis, you're it's um it's normal, and you're and you're 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 not you're not a crappy mom at all. No, nope. um, and if you had mental health before, just just there, you're very high likelihood of of having it again, and so just knowing that and getting your resources is invaluable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well this has been wonderful. Um thank I really you, loved having you, you on. Uh, I thank feel like you. we could talk for another hour. <laughs> I know. I know. Same. Um, so as far as where to find you, how to contact you, and again we'll have this on the show notes, perfectingpeeds.com. Yep. Um any other social media or anything? Yeah, my personal is Jenna Quinn, but then I also
0: have Um, all, all the social media. So Facebook page, um, Instagram, where my Instagram, I'm trying to, like, I just put honestly, real life mom things. Um, What I find as a pediatric pharmacist, like, for example, my, I just re-challenged my oldest with amoxicillin, <laughs> um, yeah. had an allergy, but I'll put like real life or like God. my little one, like with her, just like tricks of the trade. I think mom should know like easy things like butt paste or what's, mm-hmm. great, what's okay for them to have as far as even like nose drops medication. So I try to put just like helpful things, um, like what, as a Pete's pharmacist, mom, that I know that I would Want other women to know who aren't in the healthcare field on that, so that's more like kind of branded as to you know not in healthcare. But then I always use LinkedIn too, um, big on LinkedIn. So Jenna Quinn, and then I also have Perfecting Pete's page on there.
1: Great, I love LinkedIn. I feel like it's the Facebook for professionals.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I great. love. It. I love it. You know what? I didn't really get into it the first like couple months of my business, and so my brother-in-law is like, "You're a moron if you don't get on there and start like marketing mm-hmm. yourself." And so. I really have enjoyed my time and like things like this, if I, I would never have the opportunity. And, and I honestly do not like other kids in pharmacy school because we're all like hyper and competitive. <laughs> and <so laughs> I have really come out out the other way and really have been enjoying like collaborating with other pharmacists and it's great getting involved with like um, networks and associations. So that was like one of the surprise things I got out of being super involved in LinkedIn now, uh, which
1: surprised me. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. That's why I found Todd for Pharmacy Podcast Network. We met. We just randomly were you know on LinkedIn, so it's it works. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. Thank you so well, much. It's yeah. Been a pleasure. Thank you so much.